Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, providing primary and advanced specialty care throughout all of central Pennsylvania and beyond. A list of providers in the area can be found at upmc.com slash findadoc. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Anaya Falcon. A fourth grade teacher at Hambright Elementary School in the Penn Manor School District in Lancaster was one of only 50 K-12 teachers in the U.S. and Canada to receive a, quote, professional development opportunity of a lifetime. Katie Harnish participated in the National Geographic and Lindblad Expeditions Grosvenor Teacher Fellowship, where she traveled to the Antarctica and Falkland Islands to study with biologists, nor- naturologist, naturologist uh, undersea specialists, and photographers to learn about the environment and wildlife in these places. Katie joins us to discuss her experience with this fellowship and how she's using what she learned to enhance her science lessons in her local classrooms. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So, Katie, tell us about the Grosvenor Teacher Fellowship and what it entails. Sure. Um, So the Grosvenor Teacher Fellowship is a professional development opportunity that's made possible by a partnership between Lindblad Expeditions and National Geographic. Um, It's a two-year commitment offered to pre-K to 12 educators in the U.S. and Canada. And um, it was founded by Sven Olaf Lindblad. Um, He and Gilbert Grosvenor, um, he was... He founded the the fellowship um, in honor of Grosvenor's commitment to geographic education, um, and so they have committed to sending educators on these um, amazing expeditions around the world. Um, and again, it's a two year commitment. So um, I was awarded the fellowship in 2020, but will continue to be affiliated with National Geographic for a little while longer. And you were one of only 50 K through 12 teachers picked to participate throughout the U.S. and Canada, as I mentioned. But how did you feel to be chosen? That's amazing. It, it was completely surreal. Um, I remember them telling me that they were actually, if we were selected, we'd get a phone call. And I remember seeing a phone call um, coming through, seeing a voicemail and listening to it and having it be someone from National Geographic and thinking, there's no way I got this phone call. Um, and so I was just flabbergasted. And when I was told that I was going to South Georgia and the Falklands, I was just... It was it was unreal. It was unbelievable. So what do you think made you stand out amongst so many? I have no idea. <laughs> I feel I still have a lot of imposter syndrome, I think, because I have some pretty amazing colleagues in my cohort. Um, I hope that it was a reflection of my commitment to geographic education um, and to kind of bringing some innovative instructional techniques and experiences to my students. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping that that was maybe what they saw. So were there others within Pennsylvania that received this opportunity? There was one other educator, um, and she's from western Pennsylvania. She was able to go to the Galapagos Islands. Hmm. And I know you are a National Geographic certified educator. So what does that mean? So that means that um, I engaged in about a 45-hour, it's probably a little bit more than that, um, professional development opportunity. Um, It's an online course, and through the 
um, certification process, I really just took a deep dive into the National Geographic teaching framework, um, which is all about helping students um, to discover their own explorer's mindset. And um, through that process, I also had to create a capstone project. And for my capstone project, we created a virtual reality tour of our um, the ecology of our schoolyard. So my students were outside capturing VR footage, and then they um, kind of infused it with images that they captured or artwork that they created, as well as um, a lot of uh just descriptions of the of the uh, natural kind of phenomenon in, in different uh, species that they were encountering so that somebody who was outside of our area could sit there and put on their VR goggles and experience what it was like to stand on the Hambright's campus. Oh, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you want, why did you want to be a part of uh, the Grosvenor Teacher Fellowship and what makes you so passionate about geography in particular? Yeah, so I feel like geography, it's just really the union of so many different things and it's kind of looking at why what we're learning is relevant so that it kind of, to me, it's so important that we root whatever we're learning about and the idea that, you know, we have our, you know, what happens in our community, but what happens in our community has impacts broadly in, you know, around the globe. So when we're learning about watersheds, for instance, we're learning that Theoretically, a piece of trash that ends up in the Little Conestoga Creek could eventually, theoretically, end up in the ocean, you know, and and what kind of impacts would that have um, on on other species and people around the world? So, um, so yeah, I think that you know, I just felt geographic education was was so important, and I knew that this experience would really kind of push me and challenge me as an educator um, and just provide me with new inspiration and new contacts and an incredible cohort of colleagues to be able to kind of go back and, and kick some ideas around with. So you traveled to the Antarctica and the Falkland, uh, Falkland Islands during the uh, 24-day trip mm-hmm. uh, that you had with the fellowship. So yeah. what were some of the things that you did along the journey? Oh, we did so many incredible things. Um, we So we had our days at sea. So it took about two days to get to each of these different locations. So we left um, Ushuaia, Argentina, and went to the Falkland Islands. It was about two days. And while we were on board, um, we would generally listen to the naturalists give lots of talks. And so we learned about incredible things. We learned about whale acoustics and we learned about, um, you know, just the natural history of the area and glaciology and all sorts of interesting things. Um, when we were in the Falkland Islands, we saw giant colonies of rockhopper penguins, which are so cool. They're penguins that kind of bounce around on the on on land, you know. And we always kind of conceptualize penguins as being these like you know icy creatures yeah. that live in the ice. But it was so neat to see them kind of bop around and sounds really cute. Oh my gosh, it's so cute. <laughs> and uh, we also saw you know magnificent colonies of albatross. You know, some of these just beautiful gigantic birds. Um, we took another two-day trip then to South Georgia Island, which was just a completely magnificent place to visit. Um, it is uh, just covered with these beautiful, beautiful snow-capped mountains, and along its beaches are hundreds of thousands of king penguins, um, which are very much like emperor penguins, just slightly smaller. They look very similar. Um, and elephant seals, which weigh tons, and fur seals, and um, just incredible animals. And along the way, as we're traveling from place to place, we're seeing humpback whales and, and fin whales and um, orca and just amazing creatures. 
And then finally, we um, we ended up in Antarctica and we uh, explored the coast and were able to go on land and um, look around and see the Adelie penguins and the Gentoo penguins. And we saw um, a whole colony of emperor penguins as well. So... Again, when we were at sea, we did a lot of learning about the different places where we were going to be going and the species that and the animals that we'd encounter there. Um, but when we were on land, we were traveling, um, walking, and kind of seeing all of these animals and having these encounters up close. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also, you know, it was an important process between the different um places that we visited, we would also go through decontamination protocols. So we were making sure we weren't bringing any kind of invasive species or anything to the new places we were visiting. So our days were full. I mean, I woke up at 4 a.m. and wow. I was <laughs> I was completely <laughs> engaged until I crashed at night. So it was just, it was unbelievable. So talk to me a little bit about any restrictions that teachers may have uh, had to have Uh, when it came to using their phones, social media, or doing unrelated things? Mm -hmm. So it was not particularly easy to communicate with people back home, obviously. Um, We did have some uh, internet, um, some ability to connect to the internet, but it was a little spotty. Um, So I had hoped to be able to kind of Skype with my class while I was away, um, but was unable to. I was able to actually send a postcard um, from South George Island, which was kind of unexpected, uh, that arrived about six weeks later. <laughs> but um, So I was definitely home by the time I got here. But um, I was able to kind of touch base and, and still stay in contact with people, probably more so than I had expected. Wow. You've been a part of this program since 2020. Mm-hmm. So how did COVID-19 have an effect on your experience? Yeah, it, ha- it had a big time <laughs> impact. Um, so I actually received the notification that I was going to be in the program in 2020 in February. So, um, and the original idea was that we were going to travel to Peace Corps headquarters in Washington, D.C., kind of all congregate, get to know each other, and then go out in our expeditions that year. So I was scheduled to depart in November of 2022. But obviously, in the meantime, the world kind of fell apart. And it started by, you know, we had to postpone our, our um, meeting in D.C. And then it became clear that, um, that we weren't going to be able to leave on our expeditions that year. So we continued to do the professional development piece and um, taking the online courses and staying connected. But um it certainly it became clear that we weren't exactly sure when we'd be able to depart. So um, it was pretty heartbreaking, you know, to kind of be mentally and prepared for this expedition and, you know, all the excitement and the waiting, because this was something I had wanted to do, you know, just yeah. had my heart set on doing. Um, and then, you know, and we, Lynn Blad was amazing and National Geographic, National Geographic was amazing. They continued to kind of stay in touch and just saying, you know, we're not ready yet. We're not ready yet, but we will be. And kind of an unexpected um, advantage of waiting was that in the meantime, they actually added Antarctica to our um, destination. Mm, so that was, advantage. yeah, I wasn't actually supposed to go to mainland Antarctica um, in the first iteration of the journey. So um, when I got the the email finally in April of last year, I sobbed. I mean, I sobbed because this was something that had just been 
you know, years of waiting. And it had been such a difficult two years for educators as well um, during that time. And so it was just, it was, I, I still, I can think, it, it almost brings tears to my eyes to recall just getting that email saying yeah. that I was going to be going to Antarctica of all places. Yeah. And yeah. eventually you were able to have so many wonderful adventures on your trip. So I know there were also some dangerous adventures that you <laughs> you participated in. Yeah. Share with me a little bit about some of those. So, you know, the National Ge- the the Lindblad staff and crew were just absolutely amazing and we were very very lucky that they really helped mitigate a lot of those kind of uncomfortable dangerous potentially dangerous um, situations. Uh, There were some very aggressive and territorial fur seals, Antarctic fur seals, along the way when we would get off on land. And um, the uh, elephant seals are also gigantic and a little intimidating. Um, But we were able to kind of safely navigate around them, although, you know, they do not, they don't like it when people are in their space. Um, But the naturals were really great at being able to kind of keep the animals safe and keep us safe. Um, The probably the most uncomfortable and part of the whole journey was crossing the Drake Passage, which is some of the the most notoriously difficult water on Earth um, to kind of to travel through. And while we were there, we had 10 meter waves. So which is, yeah, which is almost (laughs) impossible to kind of even comprehend. But um, it was very, very rocky. And um, we had I was really, really seasick for a couple of those days. There were days when I would, you know, eventually kind of drag myself up and we'd be sitting down to dinner and plates would be smashing off of tables and (laughs) it was was very rocky um and actually you know i I, it it was covered briefly in the news but right after i returned there was actually um someone who was visiting the antarctic on a different expedition who was actually killed by a rogue wave um in the drake passage but i was really lucky that um i mean i felt completely safe on board the national national geographic explorer um and like i said the Lindblad staff and crew really just kept us so comfortable and so safe the whole entire way and we are glad that you're able to come back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> safely and also bring what you learned into your classroom and make a difference in that way. So what were some of your key takeaways and what kind of information uh, did you bring back for your fourth graders? Um So I think that one of the most important things that we do as educators is we really like I think that I always want my students to say, wow, at some point throughout the day um, about something, you know, because the world is really fascinating. And if we're not illuminating that for kids, like I don't know if we're doing our job. So I think that I was so just completely blown away by the experience that when I came back, I was full of wow, you know, and I just wanted to share that with everybody. Like, did you know, you know, that humpback whales sing in canyons to amplify their sound? And did you know that, you know, I was telling them all these facts and they were just, they were fascinated. And um, it's funny because they kind of just, they really took to it. And so they, um, they've been learning all about Antarctic animals. um, And I see it just this kind of, we're sort of oriented now around the, around the Antarctic. And it was funny, the other day we had crazy hair day at school and I had um, feathers sticking up out of my hair and they were like, you look like a macaroni penguin, which is a species <laughs> of penguin I encountered in the Antarctic. So just little things like that. It's clear that like this is something that they've really been learning a lot about and have been interested in. Um, 
beyond that, I'm developing, um, they're called deliverables, but basically lesson plans that can be scaled um, that I'm going to be sharing with National Geographic, but can be shared with other educators. Um, and I think that I'm really going to be zoning in on uh, or focusing on keystone species and, and the impact that you know certain animals have on the ecosystems. Um, and beyond that, just I'm going to be continuing to sort of talk about my experiences and share about Antarctic animals with other students. Um, so I've been visiting other classrooms and talking to other groups just to tell more about um, the Antarctic and why it's important to care about the Antarctic. In your opinion, is there enough environmental and geographical education in middle schools, high schools, and upper education, and even lower education? Um I can speak probably more toward how it how it is in you know in elementary ed and maybe even in middle school, but my answer would be no, not really. I don't think there is enough um, so far as of today. Um, I think that there are educators who are really passionate about um, infusing a geographical ex- perspective, and I think that there are also educators that you know see the value in environmental education, but. Um, you know, and I'm again, I'm speaking as a public school educator. We are very standards based kind of people and we look to sort of check off boxes and what we've taught. Um, and so far, environmental ed and geographic education have not really been a part of that sort of checklist. But I'm really encouraged because I see um, a movement toward environmental education, and particularly Pennsylvania, I think, is taking a really great stance on asserting the value of environmental education and incorporating environmental literacy and sustainability in our new state standards. Um, And I think that that is really going to help educators kind of push new boundaries and and really um, look to get their students out into um, our natural environment. Are you seeing that what you're teaching students makes them want to take care of their environment as a result of of being educated about it? Yes. So um, I definitely see that. Um, You know, my students this year, for instance, are just are really, really mindful of things like litter. So every time we're at a recess, I mean, it's not a, it's not an exaggeration to say somebody comes back with some piece of litter that they found and outrage about it. Like, can you believe that someone left their, tra- awesome. you know, their bag of <laughs> chips out here? You know, so again, it's not just that they're picking it up, but they're also feeling, you know, a duty. And, and again, like a kind of a frustration, like why are people acting this way? But I also feel I, I'm starting to kind of get this, have stories come back to me of students who, because of what we're doing, are really interested in careers in science. And that is really exciting for me as an educator. In a previous conversation, you shared with me that uh, students may not want to get into that kind of work for uh, certain reasons. What are some of those reasons? Yeah. So one of the stories that really comes to mind for me um, is when I first started doing this work, um, I I didn't know much about it. I, had, I never tried to get students out into, you know, rivers and streams and those sorts of things. So I was a little intimidated by it. And I knew that I had a student who was coming to me that year who had severe mobility issues. And I was really concerned because I couldn't think to myself, like, how can I safely get this little girl out into the water? 
And she had a difficult time just negotiating the sc- our school, you know, without uh, without some assistance. And so I really didn't know if it was going to work. Um, and again, that's just kind of it was my own fear and my own kind of ignorance about how to make that situation work. Um, but I talked to her other te- her previous teachers and her team, and we were like, you know, if she's interested in doing it. We'll do it. So we talked to her and she was initially kind of hesitant. She didn't really have, she had never had experiences kind of out in in the wild. She'd never been, you know, hiking or any of that kind of stuff. And um, so we, but she kind of warmed up to the idea. And so we worked together to try to figure out what we could do. um, And we got her out into the water and she was just completely amazed by the situation and turned to one of the people who was working with her and said, I want to be a scientist when I grow up. Wow. And that's just a glimpse of the impact that you've been able to have. Yeah. Well, it's just been awesome speaking with you, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We've been speaking with Katie Harnish, fourth grade teacher at Hambright Elementary School in the Penn Manor School District that participated in the National Geographic and Lindblad Expedition's Grosvenor Teacher Fellowship. You're listening to The Spark on WITF, your home for NPR and discovering all things local. I'm Anaya Falcon.